0: Maybe for uh, just a little focus, a, a word of prayer. and uh, Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for your Son, our Lord Jesus, who gathers us together on a weekend in which we remember George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, but our identity uh, isn't such a, a, a national thing, Lord, as it is uh, an eternal thing. We belong to you day by day, week by week, no matter what goes on, we are yours and you are ours. So open the eyes of our hearts to have us see what you would have us see in your word today. We pray that you would consecrate us to your purposes. And, and as I speak, Lord, I pray not only for a clarity of thought and words, but also for an openness of spirit in us and among us as we, as we think about the words of probably the greatest sermon ever preached. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I love the. Do my thing. There we go. Beautiful. Yeah. How about that? So I've I've been able to, to to laugh off and and think through some of this stuff on the survey that we took and we did two weeks ago a a, a, a dog and pony show and and work through it and. Some of the things that are hard for me to hear about preaching, right, because a sermon is a very personal thing, and, and uh, there were some people who said, you, too tell, you tell too many stories and it's too much about football and all that stuff, and um, I take all that stuff to heart. I don't laugh it off and say, well, if you're not listening and, you know, if you don't think it, I take it, take it to heart. And it's fascinating that immediately after we did that presentation, which was just fantastic, we did questions and answers till, I, I didn't get home till about two o'clock on Super Bowl Sunday, which was great. I mean, it was just an awesome, awesome give and change. You realize how passionately people care about God's church that St. John's Orange. It's just a fantastic thing. And as we spoke and as we listened, we then morphed and moved into a uh, couple of a couple of sermons on the greatest sermon ever preached, which is Matthew 5, Matthew 6, and Matthew 7, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. There's no question, in my mind at least, that that's the greatest sermon ever preached. Jesus, uh, he, he preaches maybe 15 or 20 minutes. Of course, it helps to be the Son of God and clarity, and he can see right into the souls of all your hearers. That helps. He didn't have a lot of goofy stories, and he had no NFL to talk about, so he just kind of, He preached. And as, as I preach today for a little bit, you would be able to read that whole sermon probably twice in the time I preach a sermon on only about 16 verses of it. But the purpose of this message is phenomenal. It's to show that you need Jesus. The people to whom Jesus was speaking that day, some of them didn't think they needed the Lord the Messiah. They thought they had it all figured out. They thought that their identity rested in their obedience and there was a sin of pride that was going through the community of those who, who uh, were listening that day. And on the other side were people who were broken by the things of life. And in this marvelous message, Jesus meshes those two. And At the end of this sermon, as at the end of Jesus, I hope you'll be able to say, I need you. And I have you, Jesus. Here's the words from that message. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, rakah, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, is, uh, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce, but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her a victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you do not swear an oath at all either by heaven for it is God's throne or by the earth for it is his footstool or by Jerusalem for it is the city of the great king and do not swear by your head for you cannot even make one white you can even make one hair white or black all you need to say is simply yes or no anything beyond this comes from the evil one wow Anyone not hit right between the eyes on that? That's one of the most painful pieces of Scripture that I think you can read. Although Jesus has a little bit more pain in Matthew 6. To the people there who didn't think they needed the Lord that day, Jesus takes and breaks it down. And he makes it inescapable the sin, and the brokenness in the world. So how do you identify yourself? What, what does that look like? I did this thing. And uh, I did Ancestry.com. My mom gave me the kit for Christmas. And uh, it was just fun. It was just fun. And, and I had this understanding of who I was, what my DNA was, how it worked, where we were from. I had myself marked and identified as about 80% German. You want to see the results? Yeah. yeah. What we found? Well, it was 60% German. Okay. 19% England, Wales and Northwestern Europe. And 17% Swedish. How in the world did that German great, 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 great grandpa swim to Sweden? And who did he meet? 3% Eastern Europe and Russia, and 1% other. It's my DNA. Kind of funny, huh? I thought for sure I was 80% German. I'm a little disappointed, to be honest, but at least there's there's something to work with. The Germans are so hard-headed. It's good that I've got a little sweet in there. That's maybe the nice part of me and not the German shepherd part of me. But then I think about that. I'm not primarily identified by my ethnicity. I'm not primarily identified by what I do. I'm identified as Tim, a child of God. And as a child of God, there's a standard of living to which I have uh, assented to in following Jesus Christ. Who, we are, who are we and what, what does that mean? Jesus says in this text, you have heard it. Said. Now, I don't know where you got the family tradition. We got ours on trips and vacations and all of those things. And we'd sit by the campfire, and my dad would tell stories. And we don't know how many of them were accurate and how many of them were just kind of folklore. Some of the stuff in our genealogy has got to be folklore, because there's got to be nobody that was as tough as my great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandpa who was in the court of Isabella and Ferdinand and shook Columbus's hand when he went to the New World. I believe that's a legend. Kind of. Where did you learn your identity? Where did it dawn on you who you are and what you're all about? Your parents put their arm around you and say, here's what it is to be uh, in our family. Here's what it's all about and here's the standard of living and here's what we are. We are about telling the truth. We are about our handshake is our bond. We don't need a contract because in our family we shake a hand and that's the deal. Maybe, maybe your father put a wrench in your hand and he said, you learn how to use this and you'll never be disappointed. Maybe your grandfather and your grandmother pulled you aside and said, here's what it means to be in our family. We are Christians. We believe in Jesus Christ. This is what it means to us. Who you are is more than what you do. You have heard it said. But who we are finds its way out in how we live. And Jesus knew that there were arrogant people in the crowd that day. That there were people who didn't think they needed Him or the Messiah or God. or anything. They'd kind of work their whole life out. And life was grand and life was great. And, and, and almost to the extent where the Pharisees and the religious people would say, God, you're lucky you have me. You're, you're, you're so blessed, Lord, that I'm your child. And so when Jesus speaks of these issues, which are big issues, right? How do you get along? How do you not say hateful things to your brother or sister and your family? You've heard it said that this is the standard, and then Jesus puts it up to a standard that's so high. Or what about sexuality and marriage? It says if you even look, the bar was here for adultery. people could say, I never been divorced, I never had a problem. I kept my pants up. I'm cool. Jesus said, If you even looked or that issue of keeping your word and telling the truth. Jesus said you guys are so big on making an oath on this and promising on that and, and, and you say this and you dance around in the temple and you call the oath down from your mom and your dad and your family and your name and God and, and you try to make it so it's all going to be signed, sealed and delivered. He said why not just be an honest person? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Because that's how a Christian, a follower of Jesus, operates. He set the bar so high that no one Me, you, anyone that day, no one could do anything else but say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You have heard it said, but I say to you. And for me, that's where it becomes uncomfortable. Because there's a bar that's so high that I can't get over it. I can't crawl over it. I can't climb over it. I can't pole vault over it. There's not a rope coming up the other side that I'm going to be able to climb to get over and deal with the issues of my own sinfulness. It's like I'm locked in a maximum security prison, surrounded with razor wire. And the Lord says, how are you going to get out? What are you going to do? For me, that's really uncomfortable. And I think this is the hardest part of Christianity is dealing with our own sinfulness and our own broken pieces and knowing that we need the Lord. There's not a self help program, there's not some easy way out. There's we need the Lord. Because He's the one who breaks down the barriers. He's the one who looks into the heart and says, man, it's ugly and dark in there, and I love you, and I'll never leave you, and I'll never, ever forsake you. I will be there for you because you belong to me. Whenever God's people get kind of complacent, they get lazy or dumb. The same way like that. Things are cruising. Things are great. If I'm not engaged, my mind goes 50,000 other places. So at the end of Deuteronomy, chapter 30, verses 15 through 20, as the people were getting settled in the land, and everything was great. They were getting rich. They had homes. They had all this stuff. Their crops were going. Their crops, their kids, their cattle. God had kept their word. And then they kind of look back, and they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. We got it all going on here. It's like we live in Orange County. We're doing so good. And they kind of forgot their ancestry, kind of forgot their identity, kind of forgot where they had come from. And so in Deuteronomy, the Lord uses all of the, all of the sermons and all of the history to remind them where they came from. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to Him, and to keep His commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life, so that you and your children may live, and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your forefathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says, all that stuff, he puts that little piece in there, right? He says, for, for the Lord is your life. You are more than what you do. You are children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. You are the receivers of what God has done for you in Christ. The beautiful little baby. I get to hold Savannah all day and maybe I can take her dad to lunch and I can hold that baby for four or five hours. I would just love to do that. i got to practice up. Your baptismal identity supersedes what you do. Your baptismal identity supersedes the bar that's set so high where you say, I can't possibly do that. God says in your baptism, you belong to me and you are identified as a child of God. And where you haven't made it over the bar, my grace abounds for you. And when you have fallen short, when, when, when you're so far above and beyond and, and your life's broken and wrecked, don't forget. The Lord is your life. He's the one who's called you to follow after Him. Not called you with emptiness or, or some sort of feeble promise that isn't etched in, in eternity. He's called you by the cross and by His blood. And when our sin screams out, you are a sinner and you're no good. The blood of Jesus cries out from the cross, you are forgiven and you belong to me. You have heard it said and now I say to you. But the final word of Jesus is the word on the cross. Father, forgive them. Jesus sets up a marvelous rhetorical argument here. He's saying, you can't get over the bar. And if you're arrogant, you think you can, you're nuts. So I'm going to keep you close to me. And he goes all through Matthew's gospel, keeping God's law, keeping God's promise, healing, speaking, preaching, suffering, and dying. So that when the brokenness of pained relationships, sexuality and marriage, dishonesty, and the broken pieces that go along with that, that we find restoration and hope in the name of Jesus. That's what it's all about. And he provides the, the, the forgiveness in his death, and he provides life in his resurrection. Savannah's not just baptized into the death of Jesus, Paul writes in Romans chapter 6. So she's baptized into his resurrection, into life. For the death of Jesus has provided that the gate of heaven opens for you and me. And that's our identity. We are brothers and sisters of God. We are. His children. And when sin screams over your shoulder, you're not good enough, we point to that cross and say, I'm with Him. He says, I'm okay. And we say, I'm redeemed, and I follow Jesus. And people say, yeah, but you're not perfect. Look at all the stupid stuff you've said and done. We say, yeah, I get that, and I'm not perfect, but I am part of the family of faith. I'm a redeemed follower of Jesus. Yeah, but where you came from and your ancestry, you're all a bunch of whack job crazies and you got 16% sweet in you. What? Is... <laughs> and we point to that cross and we say, I am a forgiven sinner. And if Christ isn't bringing my sins back against me, I'm not bringing them back against myself and you can't budge me from my faith. And I'm a person who will live forever with Jesus And that promise will never be shaken. And until the Lord takes me home, my life matters. Every relationship and every interaction, my home and family, the way I conduct my business, all of those things that Jesus addresses find value and meaning as we find honor and integrity in our relationships. Because what we do may not completely identify us, but what we do flows out of who we are in Jesus, and that's where life becomes worth living and the impact of your life on unreal.